Just a question for us to think about. When it comes to us and Jesus, is it just about what we can get from him, what we can get him to do for us? Or is it about who he is? Is it about the sacrifice that he made for us? The fact that he rose from the dead, that he's Lord of lords and King of kings, that he rules and reigns, that he's the name above every name. If we believe those things are true, could we just take a minute and worship him, praise him for the, just the greatness of who he is, the, the goodness and the grace that he's extended toward us. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that uh, you are the name above every name, that uh, you're the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God incarnate, our Savior. And Jesus, we thank you for your love, for your sacrifice. We thank you that you're alive, that you rule and you reign, that you're even going to the Father on our behalf now. God, I pray that you'd help us to trust you. And Jesus, we, we thank you that we're blessed in you and that you're good all the time and that you daily load us with your benefits, that in you, that our needs are met according to your riches and glory and that we can do all things through you who give us strength and that you never leave us or forsake us. And Lord, we thank you for these things. And Lord, I pray, though, that you'd help us to not make it about us, but help us to make it about you. And God, I pray that you would um, just convict us uh, of sin as we look in your word, convict us of our need for you. But Lord, remind us that you're in control, that you're listening to your children, that you answer prayers, and that, that we can trust you and that we can make a difference in the world by talking to you. And so, Lord, we pray now that you would teach us your word, that you would give us understanding, that you would work in us, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat if you would. Again, we're glad that you're here. It's good to, uh, to see you. If you've got a Bible, let's go to Daniel uh, chapter 9 or be on the screen or feel free to use your smart device. So we've been doing this series called The World Seems Out of Control. And today we're going to talk about the fact that the world seems out of control, but that God is answering prayer. And, and really I want us to, to see today how that can affect or relate to what is going on in the world. I, I think this uh, text in this time is providential. It's something that, that I needed. I don't know about you. I would assume that if you're here, most of you pray. I would think that's the case, and, and I pray, I believe in prayer, I've seen God answer a lot of prayers in my life some pretty in, in, in some pretty incredible ways uh, sometimes, and, and, and I know in my head that for his children, God answers all prayers. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's slow, which means it's not right now, the timing's not right, sometimes the answer is grow meaning that there's something that uh, I'm going to do in you uh, before I answer this prayer. I know that in my head, but sometimes in my heart, in my, in my emotions and circumstances, I can lose sight of that. 
Can you? I mean, sometimes, of course, you know, prayer is kind of a mystery in some ways anyway. I mean, it's like God's sovereign. He's in control of everything. Why does it matter if, if I pray or not? And how does all of that work together? And, and I can't give you all the, the, the answers to that. But uh, what, what I believe is, first of all, if God's not sovereign, there would be no point in prayer. That's more just like wishful thinking. Uh, I mean, you ever met, uh, I'm sure you've met people, atheists, people aren't Christians, but you ever had somebody who like doesn't even believe in God or is not a Christian and you're going through something and they're like sending up thoughts for you? <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> whatever. Uh, I mean, I, didn't, I don't want to say that to them, but I mean, that, that's kind of what I'm thinking because, I mean, where, where is it going? Like to the imaginary sky ferry somewhere and, uh, you know, what's going to happen with it? And one of the things I want you to get out of this message today, and I've said this a lot, the, the, the key to faith is not the amount of our faith, it's the object of our faith. And so, is what we're trusting in capable and faithful to deliver, to, to, to come through? But if God's not sovereign, there's no point in prayer, but that, this is what I think the Bible teaches. God's sovereign, and so the ultimate cause of everything is the will of God. But God works through a lot of secondary causes, and one of those secondary causes is prayer. I mean, the Bible is very clear uh, about that. But, but again, sometimes, and, and I've kind of been this way with some things lately, just like kind of frustrated with some things or uh, maybe confused, like, God, why aren't you answering this prayer? Why aren't you coming through? Why aren't you doing this? But God has used this text this week and really some answered prayers to encourage me, and I hope the same thing happens uh, for you. So we've talked about as we've gone through the book of Daniel, this is the ninth message there, that the, the big theme of Daniel is that God is in control, that he's sovereign, that he rules and reigns for, from his throne, that, that Jesus is Lord, that God is working out his will in the world. But isn't it interesting, and I want to point this out to you as we start before we really zero in on Daniel 9, 1 through 19, and that is with that as the big picture, with that as the main idea of the book of Daniel, how much prayer is emphasized and, and talked about in this book. And that in and of itself would show you that there's no dichotomy or no contradiction between the sovereignty of God and prayer, that they actually fit together. Let's just look at a few verses in Daniel, so we'll just kind of review and overview what I'm talking about. If you go back to uh, Daniel chapter 2, remember Nebuchadnezzar was threatening to kill all the, the wise men, uh, all the soothsayers there in Babylon, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What was their response? Uh, chapter 2, verse 18, it says uh, that they got together that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret. What was their response to their lives being threatened? It was, it was prayer. Now, a lot of us, if our lives were threatened, we might throw up a prayer, right? Uh, we, we do a lot of emergency praying sometimes. But it, Daniel just didn't do emergency praying. And remember, it was the habit of his life. Chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, uh, and this was the writing that no, no one could you know, worship any other god for 30 days. It says he went home, and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed 
and gave thanks. He just didn't ask for stuff. He prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. So, apparently, at least three times a day since he was a kid, Daniel had been praying. In chapter 9, verse 3, he says, Now I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes, which were outward uh, expressions or symbols of humility and repentance. But then notice uh, chapter 9, verses 20 through 23. And we'll just skip ahead and let me touch on that for a second. And then we'll focus on verses 1 through 19. He says, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, an angel being caused to fly swiftly, reached out, uh, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. Now, now listen to this. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you. What's that mean? As soon as he started praying, he was heard, and God started acting. Why? Look at the second part of this. He says, For you are greatly beloved, therefore consider the matter and understand the vision. God heard him. God acted because he was greatly loved. Now, you may be saying, well, yeah, that's Daniel. He's like a Bible hero. God loves him, and God's going to listen to him, and God is going to answer his prayers. But, you know, that's not me. But understand, if you are in Christ, uh, the Bible, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so, meaning in the same way, so I love you. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated, God proved his love toward us. And that while we were sinners, that Christ died for us. The cross proves God's love. The cross is the basis of our prayers. The cross is our access uh, to God. So, so listen, and, and, and this is so important, and maybe this might be the most important thing for some of you to get out of this message. Prayer is not us twisting God's arm to get him to do things for us that he doesn't want to do. Prayer is not us trying to earn favor uh, with this big, mean God. Prayer is talking to our Father and getting from him what he already has for us because we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ from a God who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Now think about it. In your life, I promise you, there have been people that it's been easy to ask for things from. Right? Because you know they love you. You know they want uh, what's best for you. And maybe they've even spoiled you. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a friend. But you've had people 
who you know they care about you, want what's best for you, and, and they have the means to help you, that's a pretty easy ask. There's other people, maybe you have to ask people for things uh, sometimes, but maybe you just know they're grumpy or they don't really care, and, and you just feel completely different. Listen, God is not a grumpy, uncaring God. He's a father who gave his son for you, and you can approach him with that kind of posture and faith and mindset because you're greatly beloved, just like Daniel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, not based on your performance, but based on your position in Christ. And then one more in chapter 10, and we'll get to this passage in a couple of weeks. It's another mysterious passage in Daniel about uh, spiritual warfare. But he, he, it says, Daniel 10, 12, Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come because of your words. In other words, he was heard, and his prayer was answered again. But it says, and, and we'll try to unpack this in a couple of weeks, uh, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I've been left alone there with the kings of Persia. And you say, what does that mean? I'm like, I don't really know for sure yet. I don't know that I ever will, but what I do know is that there is some kind of, of battle, some kind of spiritual warfare going on in the unseen world. And again, one of the things that we're supposed to take away from the book of Daniel is that God is working out his plans and his will in the seen physical material world, but through processes that are happening in the immaterial unseen spiritual world behind all of that. Uh, Tony Evans is, has put it this way. He says, everything physical and visible is preceded by that which is invisible and spiritual. So if we want to address the physical and visible, we must first identify the cause which is invisible and spiritual. Therefore, if all we see is what we see, then we're not seeing all there is to be seen. Let me read that last sentence again. If all we see is what we see, then we're not seeing all there is to be seen. Are we walking by faith or are we walking by sight? And so when you put all of this together, it would seem to me that the conviction is that, yeah, the world seems out of control, but both because God is sovereign and because God is working through the prayers of his people, it's not really out of control. The world seems out of control, but God is still answering prayer. And so if that's true, the action that we should take based on that conviction is that we will live in dependence on our sovereign God by making prayer a first priority instead of a last resort. That's how Daniel lived. We will live in dependence upon our sovereign God by making prayer a first priority instead of a last resort. If you're honest in your life, is prayer a first priority? Is it a habit like it was with Daniel? Or is it a last resort, bail me out kind of deal? Now, as in a minute we walk through Daniel. 9, 1 through 19, I just want to be very practical and, and just show you 
five truths uh, from this passage about how we pray. And, and, and understand, when, when you do expository preaching, which is you know, verse by verse, which means that the content of the message comes from the content of that passage. I'm not saying this is all there is to be said about prayer in the Bible. This is not like a systematic theology of prayer. But this is what this text teaches us uh, about prayer. Before we get there, let me just kind of frame it this way, though. So, again, the book of Daniel is about the sovereignty of God. God's in control. He rules and reigns through, uh, from his throne. But prayer is a big emphasis. Spiritual warfare is a big emphasis. And, and, and that you know God is working in the unseen to make things happen in the seen world. But what I want you to understand is what connects these things together on some level is the prayers of the people of God. Now, when I look at our nation and I look at the world, you know, one thing about our nation, it seems like to me that we're at some kind of tipping point. I don't see how we can keep going in the direction that we're going indefinitely. I mean, we're a divided people. And, and we're divided because we're just, we're divided over worldview issues, significant issues. And we have problems. And we don't have uh, easy solutions to those problems. And we don't have good leadership, and I would say that of Republicans and Democrats. And we have problems, really, that are kind of beyond human solutions anyway, though, some of them. And, and so if we're at a tipping point, this is my thing if, if you're a Christian. If, if we're the church of Jesus Christ, what are we going to do and, and what's our role? You know, the Bible says if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and, and, and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I'll hear from heaven and, and I'll, heal, uh, their, I'll forgive their sin and, and, and heal their land. It, it would seem as though to me if it's true that God is on his throne and that he answer, hears and answers the prayers of his people, and he's working out his will in the seeing through the unseen and, and, and the connecting point there is prayer that it will be time for us to be humbled and broken and on our face seeking our God instead of living in passive resignation or instead of hoping that everything works out or instead of putting our faith in politicians or instead of sitting back and, and complaining and griping and moaning. I mean, if we believe that God is sovereign and that he answers prayers, should the should not that affect the way that we live our lives? I mean, do we really believe that God is working in, in, in the world? There's an old Petra song that the title of it is Get on Your Knees and Fight Like a Man. And whether you're a man or a woman, I would say it's time for us to get on our knees and, and fight like a man. I mean, fight in prayer for our marriages, for our children, grandchildren, Families, wayward children, lost souls, people walking away from God, our nation, the world, people who have never heard the gospel. You see, one of the ways, one of the things that will show whether or not we really believe God is in control is if prayer is a first priority or if it's a last resort. I mean, Listen, none of us really have to say what we believe. 
What we do shows what we believe. And if we're trying to fix everything and solve everything in our lives, then we're trusting ourselves instead of the Lord. If we believe that people are going to fix all the problems in the world, then we're trusting people and not the Lord. Are we going to live in faith, in dependence on our sovereign God and live that out by making prayer first priority? Or is it all on us? Listen, if, if we think it's all on us and, and we don't see solutions, it's no wonder why everybody's so anxious and stressed and freaked out about everything. So I, I challenge us, if you're a Christian, to take God's word seriously and make prayer a first priority. Well, if we're going to pray, how do we pray? Well, let, let's look at Daniel 1, 9 or Daniel 9, 1 through 19. So first, first thing I'm going to show you about prayer is that our guide to prayer is the Word of God. Our guide to prayer is the Word of God. In other words, how do you know how to pray, what to pray for? It's Scripture. Look at what happens here in the first three verses. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. In other words, Daniel opened the Bible, and I'll show you what he read in a minute. And he read that they were going to be in this exile for 70 years. He knows that it's getting close to 70 years. And so he's like, what do we do? Well, let's look at that in two ways. First of all, here's what he read, Jeremiah 25, 12. Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. Jeremiah 29, 10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. Remember, Daniel's not chronological. Remember what we read earlier. Uh, Cyrus came and defeated them. And Cyrus then was God's man to deliver uh, the Jewish people from the Babylonians. Now, the thing that's crazy about that, if you go to the end of Isaiah 44 and uh, the beginning of Isaiah 45, Cyrus was predicted by name in advance there. And the other thing about it is God used him, even as a wicked ruler, to be the arm and the instrument of deliverance for his people. Remember what we read earlier in Daniel? God sets over the kingdoms of men, even the lowest of men. God uses wicked people to accomplish his purposes. I mean, who's he got to work with except sinners? And that's not a justification of sin, but that's the, that's the only candidates he's got because that's all of us. <clears throat> so Daniel read this, 70 years, the 70 years is coming. Then what do we do? Well, he knew that from the Bible too because if you go to 1 Kings chapter 8, 1 Kings chapter 8 was the great prayer of dedication that Solomon prayed at, at, at the dedication of the temple that, that he built. And so here's what it says, starting in verse 46. It says, When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, 
and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of the enemy far or near. This is what Daniel experienced, right? And, and one of the things we need to learn is to interpret our experiences by the word of God and then act and pray based on the word of God. It says, yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, saying, we have sinned and done wrong, we have committed wickedness, and when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers, then here in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you, and grant them compassion before those who took them captive that they may have compassion on them. So what Daniel do? Daniel read 70 years. The 70 years is coming. What do we need to do? Well, the Bible says we need to repent and pray and cry out to God. And that's what he started doing. And so as we read the rest of this prayer in a second, keep that, those verses in mind. And you'll see him praying according to what those verses said. You want to have your prayers answered? Pray according to Scripture. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us. If we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Uh, pray according to God's will and that's when he answers our prayer. So, so what does this mean? This means like when we read the Bible and um, like... Say, I read in the Bible, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What that means is, in, in any given situation with my wife, um, what do I do? I love her. That's what I'm called to do. Like, when she was walking through cancer, and I didn't know what to do a lot of times, that verse became my guide. Just try to do the thing that would seem to be loving towards her. That, that's how you respond in prayer. God, help me do this. Or sometimes it might be, when I haven't loved her well, God, forgive me for this. Or if you read a verse about sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit may use that to prompt you to share your faith with someone. Or he may convict you because you haven't uh, shared with someone. I've had that happen. Then you ask for forgiveness. It may be a promise to claim as you go through a difficult time. You know, when Molly was in the hospital when she was a baby, for me it was Isaiah 26.3. You will keep him in perfect peace uh, whose mind is fixed on you because he trusts in you or there's you know God will give us guidance through his word I mean there's one time when I was in Maryland I was thinking about resigning from my church and I read in, in John chapter 10 where Jesus said that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep but the hireling uh, flees I'm like okay well that settles that uh, can't can't run away from this that's how God guides us as we pray God just through his word as we pray. So our guide in prayer is the word of God. Second, our foundation for prayer is our relationship with God. Our foundation for prayer is our relationship with God. Look at verse 4. Daniel says, and I prayed to the Lord my God. The Lord my God, personal relationship. And made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. So, three things I want to point out to you about this verse. First of all, God responds to the prayers of his children. 
God's not obligated to answer the prayers of anyone who is rejecting him unless it's a prayer of repentance where they're calling on the name of Jesus in faith for salvation. But he says, the Lord, my God. Again, it's about relationship. I, I think about it this way. You know, our kids are, you know, the youngest ones in college now. We're empty nesters. But I remember when my kids were little. And this is one of the things I, I hated about parenting growing up. I don't know if any of you had the same thing. It's like when they were in an activity, whatever it was, the athletics, band, whatever, and they had that sell stuff. <laughs> Anybody else share that hatred? Okay, so I got a witness on that. Uh, uh, but, so, but here's the thing also, you know, as, and being a pastor, and, uh, you know, we've had tons and tons of kids over the years at, at church at True Life. And Robin and I made a decision that when kids came up to us trying to sell their stuff, that we needed to be consistent. So we're always going to say no because we couldn't afford to say yes to everybody. <laughs> and um, I'm sorry. But, um, but, but here's the thing. It's like, you know, in, in the moment you feel like a little bad because you're saying no to these kids that you like and, and everything. But I, can I just tell you, I never lost any sleep over that. <laughs> um, but can I also tell you that, like, when our kids had to sell stuff occasionally, to keep from actually having to sell it, we would just buy it. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay? Yeah, we would just buy it part of the time. So what's, what's the, the, the difference? Why do I have no issue saying no with, to your kid and yes to my kids, even buying it from them? It's because they're my kids and the relationship with them. In a way, that's what it's like when it comes to God and prayer. The issue, the ultimate issue is, are you his kid? Do you have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ? And, and see, the thing about it is, if you do, notice this. The, the next part of this, it says, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him. You see, if you're in Christ, God has made a one-sided covenant with you based on grace and based on the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we saw last week that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, that all the promises of God and Jesus are in him. Yes and amen. And so you can pray based on that covenant, based on that relationship, based on the finished work of Jesus, based on the fact that you're already blessed with every spiritual blessing. Now by faith and prayer, you're going and claiming what God has already given you. Again, not trying to twist his arm to get him to do something for you that he didn't will in the first place. That's what prayer is. It's about relationship. We see here that God is both great and good. He's a great and awesome God, but he keeps his covenant and mercy. That means he's big enough to answer your prayers and that he cares enough to answer your prayers. But out of that, we also see here that worship is a vital part of prayer. He says, oh, great and awesome God. It's not just like, gimme, 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 ask, ask, ask. No, it's praise you, worship you, give you glory. Those kind of, That's a lot of what prayer is. It's worship. But the foundation is our relationship. Number three, our need in prayer is forgiveness through confession and repentance. Our need in prayer is forgiveness through confession and repentance. Let's pick up in verse 5. Daniel says this, and remember 1 Kings 8 as we read this. He says, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled. 
even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But to us, shame of face, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. So it's like a corporate prayer of repentance. It's what he's not just him. He's praying uh, for his fellow uh, people. He says, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Again, he's confessing sin based on their disobedience to scripture. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. What this means is, is that even as a child of God, when we pray, you know, we're in Christ, we're justified, declared righteous in Christ, but we still sin, and that affects our fellowship with God. And so we're called to confession and repentance if we want to be connected with God, if, if we want to be in fellowship with Him. I mean, unconfessed sin is kind of like uh, corrosion on battery cables. It, it, it keeps us from making that connection. It's kind of like a marriage relationship. I mean, you know, once you're married, you're married, but, uh, you know, if there's things between us that it doesn't stop the relationship, but it hinders the fellowship. And so Jesus said in John 13, 10, uh, he said, he's bathed, only needs to wash his feet, but it's completely clean and you're clean, but not all of it. He's saying you're clean, but you got to have your feet washed. You, you got to, you know, when you sin, confess your sins. He said to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors in the model prayer. At 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 66, 18 says, says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Now, a lot of that means God hear you. Yes, it means he doesn't hear with an inclination to answer. I mean, just think about it this way. If you got a kid, and they smart off to you, and then three minutes later they ask you for something, how's that going to go over? So if we sin, and then we turn around and ask God, for something without making it right for him, would he be a wise parent to indulge us without first correcting us? That's the idea of this. And, and, and listen, a lot of times, a lot of people struggle in their Christian walk because there's unconfessed sin. There's a lack of repentance. We're living in sin. And when we do that, we quench the spirit. 
and we miss out on God's best. Listen, if you're not a Christian, your first prayer is, God, forgive me. God, have mercy on me. God, I trust Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. Come and cleanse me. Come and forgive me. Come and change me. Listen, God is a holy God, and the only way to relate to him is in purity. And listen, I know sometimes people get up in the air when somebody talks about sin or when, when somebody says to repent, when somebody says to change, when somebody says to confess sin. Listen, listen to me. Do you realize the greatest gift that God could ever give us is the gift of repentance? That we can change, that we can be forgiven? Robin's boss at Carson Newman is uh, Dr. John Aiken. And he preached at True Life in March. He's going to be preaching here again on December the 18th. He and I have become friends over the last year or so. And uh, he preached in chapel uh, early last month. And, and he preached a message. He did an exposition of Proverbs chapter 5. Um, and Proverbs chapter 5 is about sex. And, uh, you know, he preached the text. I told him I'd be thrilled for him to preach word for word what he preached there at True Life. I mean, he talked about the ne negative side, the positive side. He talked about the gospel, but it was like a nuclear bomb went off. I mean, people walked out during the message. Uh, people went crazy afterwards. Uh, I mean, you know, people posting anonymous threats and all kinds of stuff on um, uh, social media anonymously, of course. And I mean, it was just a big thing, uh, you know, big controversy on the campus uh, of Carson Newman. And, and, and here's the thing about that. I mean, he, he definitely called out sin. He definitely challenged people. But, but, but here's the thing. If, if we think that someone calling out sin, and, but then also presenting the gospel and saying God forgives, is somehow like mistreating people, you understand what a scheme of Satan that that is. Because, I mean, what better news is there that, yeah, we're sinners, but we can be honest about our sin, and our sin can be forgiven, and we can repent and change, and it's not based on us. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. Don't believe those kind of lies. Uh, listen, people who tell you, I'm okay, and you're okay, and everything's good, and you just do you, and you do what you want to do, those are the people that you need to run from, not people who say, this is wrong, this is right, thus says the Lord, but here's grace, here's forgiveness, look to the cross. One of my favorite quotes ever, Dr. Dr. Adrian Rogers, it is better to speak the truth that hurts and then heals than a lie that comforts and then kills. It's better to speak the truth that hurts than, than heals than a lie that comforts and then kills. Number four, when we pray, our motivation for prayer is the glory of God and the good of people. Look at verses 14 through 19 just quickly. It says, therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day. We have sinned, we have done wickedly. 
O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications, and the key phrase, and for the Lord's sake. Cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay. Here you go again. For your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Two things I want you to notice about this. He was praying, praying in the plural. It wasn't just him. He was praying for God's people. So when we pray, are we praying for the good of others? Are we thinking about others or just ourselves? But he was praying for the glory of God. Not for my sake, but for your sake, O Lord. Um, James 4.3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. It is our focus, our motivation in prayer, the glory of God and the good of others is all about us. Listen, we can pray for our needs. Jesus said to pray, give us this day our daily bread. But notice, it didn't say, give me this day my daily bread. He said, give us this day our daily bread. That means I pray for me, but I should pray for you too. I mean, read Paul's epistles. He's all the time talking about, let's pray for each other as the church, but let's pray for the glory of God, for what he wants. Listen, you ever been used by somebody? How does that make you feel? Listen, when we're praying and it's all about us and it's not about God's glory, we're in effect using God. So is it about him or is it about us? And then last, our access to God in prayer is the mercy of God through the work of Jesus. Our access to God in prayer is the mercy of God through the work of Jesus. I think this is the key to it all. If you're a Christian, it's the key. If you're not a Christian, this is your hope, that you can come to God through Christ and be forgiven and have a relationship with him. Let me, let me show you this in, in the text. I want you to notice something. Back in verse 11, he says, Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. It says, Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we've sinned against him. Now just hold on to that, that idea of the curse, and we'll come back to it in a minute. And so then he says in, in, in verse 18, Therefore, hear the, O God, hear the prayer of your servant, his supplications. For the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary. But then the end of verse 19, or at the end of verse 18, sorry, he says, For we not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. Do you understand? 
The way to pray is not make a deal with God. God, I'm so awesome. Look what I've done. I'll do this for you if you'll do this for me. God, give me what I deserve. Don't ever pray that because we deserve hell. Our only basis in prayer is the grace and mercy of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. We need someone interceding on our behalf. We have no standing on our own to stand before God. But in Christ, we can approach him with boldness and confidence is what Ephesians tells us. Because of what Jesus has done for us. One time when I was a kid, we went on vacation to the beach, and we went with a family that were friends of ours, and uh, they had a son. He was older than me, and he brought a friend with him. And uh, I don't remember exactly what we were doing. I'm sure it was something sports, and I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, they're both older than me. But I, I did two stupid things. I made a bet with older people, and I made a bet that I couldn't pay. And I, I made it with the, with the kid that I really didn't know. And, you know, he could have killed me if he wanted to. But the other guy, my friend, interceded for me. He went to the other guy on my behalf, and he took care of the problem that I had created. Do you understand, in a sense, that's what Jesus is doing for us as we pray. We've created a problem, but he's going to the Father on our behalf. He's our go-between. He's interceding for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Our access to God is the fact that Jesus, our big brother, is going to God on our behalf, even though that we constantly blow it and constantly create problems. But why does he do this? Well, remember I said keep this idea of the curse in mind. I'm going to end with this. You know, sometimes people talk about generational curses and that kind of thing. The Bible does not teach anything like that. A, a, a curse is a judgment from God. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. As they sinned, God judged. But then if you read the law, like you get into the latter chapters of Deuteronomy, it, it pronounces blessings for obedience, but then it pronounces curses for disobedience. And, and this is part of the reason why salvation is not just kind of balancing the scales. Because we've done some things right, but we've done a whole lot of things that are wrong, and, and there's a curse on every one of those. In fact, the Bible says in Galatians 3, verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So you think about it. If, if you read those verses in Deuteronomy, and I'll just paraphrase. If you're an idolater, you're cursed. If you commit sexual immorality, you're cursed. If you mistreat other people, you're cursed. If you live unjustly, you're cursed. And on and on and on. We're under a curse. We're under the judgment of God. And the question is, how are we delivered from that? Well, Galatians 3.13 tells us this, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So what that means is, in some sense, on the cross, where the Bible says of Jesus that he who knew no sin became sin for us, as Jesus became in some sense, or bore murder, uh, God says, you're cursed. 
He bore sexual immorality. You're cursed. He, 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 he bore um, idolatry. You're cursed. He bore the mistreatment of others. You're cursed. As he bore everything that we've done, God says, you're cursed. You're cursed. You're cursed. He says this to his own beloved son. This is what it means that the wrath of God was poured out on him. But he was cursed. So Galatians 3.14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And what that means is because Jesus was cursed in Christ, you're blessed. There's no more curse for you. Jesus bore it all on the cross and you're free and you're forgiven and you're a child of God and you can call on his name confidently as a dearly beloved child of God. You can ask him for things. You can repent of things. You can praise him and worship him. You have access to him all the time. Jesus is interceding for you, not because of what you've done, despite of everything you and I have done, because of what he did on the cross. Trust him. You're not cursed. You're blessed in Christ. He bore the curse, and that's our access to God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.